Welcome to episode six of the Muck Podcast. I'm Tina. And I'm Hillary. Here we go. <laughs> so what's going on with you this week? Um, well, I'm staring at my Christmas tree, so that's depressing. Because this is coming out in February, but it's really like the mid-January. And I'm still staring at it. And it still looks good, though. I mean, it looks good, <laughs> the branches are wilting, so like ornaments are just dropping in the middle of the night. You just hear clunk, like there goes oh. the ornament. <laughs> It's sad, but um, I'm lazy. So there it is. There it is. Well, it's not brown. So if it were brown and dead and, you know, just, um, you know, piles of needles, then that would be really bad. But right now it still it still looks great. Yeah. So what about you? What's new with you? So the, I may have, I may be the owner of a new fur baby. Uh-oh. Yeah. I had a fur baby deposited on my lawn in a carrier and um in, in at the in in the night oh my gosh and it's a very sweet sweet little boy and i'm not sure if we're gonna keep it yet uh i have someone who uh, may want to adopt it but if they don't adopt it then we are going to adopt him and uh it's just a, a odd that someone would just leave this poor animal uh, he was very scared. He was covered in urine, just oh wet. Oh, my gosh. And uh, the door to the carrier was actually open, and he was just cowering in the back. Like, he didn't even uh, try to leave. Oh. I know. And the vet said that it was definitely a house cat. No battle scars on it. It's uh, so no weird. Fleas. Like, why Why your house, do you think? Do you think they were somebody was was watching? <laughs> I, I like, know. Oh, they look like a nice family. Well, I, you know, I asked the vet, and the vet said that, you know, there's all sorts of things that people do to get rid of their pets. And he thought that perhaps, because we do have a dog, that someone may have seen uh, me or my husband walking the dog and said, oh, they're pet people. Yeah. You know, I don't oh, know why so not. so sad. Why? Why my house? Why not the Humane Society? Why was he um, covered in? I mean, I think he was probably just scared, and that's right. why he was. And he's in the small little carrier, and that's right. why he was so wet. Um, but he was well fed, and he's so incredibly gentle and sweet, oh, the poor and thing. just very cuddly. So yeah, we're kind of in this waiting, in this waiting stage. So well, that was kind of a strange. I hope you get to keep, little, yeah. keep the kitty cat. I know. He's definitely growing on me. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, go to Instagram and follow us at the Muck Podcast, and um, and follow us on Facebook at the Muck Podcast. We put up pictures from every episode, so you can check them out. And I was uh, telling Tina that I, when I run into friends and I'm like, "Oh, I started a podcast," you know, listen to it, and they're like, "How do I listen to a podcast?" And I'm like what year is this we don't know what a podcast is okay this job's getting harder but let's figure this out and they've deleted like if they have an apple they have an iphone they deleted the podcast icon to me is crazy because i listen to so many podcasts i do too that i can't believe people don't even listen to podcasts yeah <laughs> so i, I, I like, feel the what same are we way doing? i listen it's really the only way i can clean my house now is yeah. if i am listening to a podcast it's the only way i feel like i drive so much that i feel like i need to have something else on and i don't want to listen to the regular radio you know yeah. so i listen to stories and so it's a little bit shocking but anyway um yeah there's lots of ways you can listen to us but uh <laughs> but please uh give us a rating and give us uh five stars leave a review it just helps us 
know what's going on out there and if, if we're just talking to ourselves or not <laughs> even yes. if we were i'm having fun so that's, that's it's okay with true. me true i'm having fun too and spread the word let your friends know about it um, or anyone else you think that may be interested in hearing our stories yes okay. so you are first this week i am so i want to just um mention a few sources at the top here um the chicago tribune um the new york times um, the Associated Press, I got some articles from, uh, several articles from a David Spear with the Associated Press, USA Today, um, the League of California Cities, actually, uh, the Cup Bank Pioneer Press. So all of those will be on our blog uh, in our uh, episode notes. So you can take a look there as well as the sources for our images. So today I am going to tell you the story of Mount Pleasant, Iowa Mayor. Edward Ed King. So today's story has a couple of who's. So the first, of course, is Edward Ed King, who served as mayor of Mount Pleasant, uh, Iowa, for 11 years from 1975 until 1986. And from all accounts, he was popular and well-liked. And our other person of interest is a former World War II veteran and a former POW actually from World War II, Ralph Oren Davis. Uh, when the paths between Mayor King and this former Staff Sergeant Ralph Davis collide, things get mucked up but good. <laughs> Davis, as you'll see, was impulsive, erratic, and unruly. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, our story takes place in Mount Pleasant, Iowa in the 1980s. So Mount Pleasant is a small town in Henry County, Iowa. And I feel like I always do these little small town stories. Um, there's about 8,700 people who live in the town and I believe it was maybe about 1,000 people less uh, during the time that this story took place. And it's a manufacturing and a distribution sort of town. Walmart is one of the bigger companies there. And when our story takes place, there's sort of an old side of town and the new side of town. And the old side of town wasn't as updated in terms of facilities and things like that. Um, but overall, Mount Pleasant is the epitome of the quaint, cute little small town life. And I wanna pull up a quick picture for you just to give you a sense of what the place looked like. And again, this will be up on our um, up on our Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. Oh, yeah, so it's cute. It's very cute. Yeah. It looks like it's out of a movie, you know. Like that one stoplight. Yes, yeah. it's got one st spotlight, like the little Main Street. Yeah. You know, it's, it's um, the brick buildings. So it definitely has that feel. So um, like the name implies, Mount Pleasant. It's, it's charming and delightful. <laughs> so things, though, end up taking a, a darker turn for this sweet little town of uh, Mount Pleasant. Uh, on December 10th, 1986, Ralph Oren Davis walks into the city council meeting. He draws a gun. No! And he changes the history of this town forever. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's a really um, crazy little story. And before I go into the details, uh, I always like to give background. So I wanna give you a little bit of background on Ralph Oren Davis. Okay. And you know, there's the three names you know, it's like the serial killer thing, but it's just because um, 
you know, everyone thinks like, oh, all the serial killers have three, most people have the three names and it's right. just to distinguish him from all the other Ralph Davises out in the world. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, as I mentioned, Davis was a POW. He was captured, it's an interesting story. He was actually captured by the Japanese in the Philippines. And so often when I think of World War II and I think of POWs, I'm really thinking of, you know, um, Europe. Um, and I often forget that the people of the Philippines and the Japanese right. uh, uh, soldiers went into those islands and actually captured uh, American and Filipino right. uh, soldiers as well. So he was uh, captured there, and I believe he was captured on the island of Korogaiter, and I think it was part of the Battle of Bataan, like that uh, the Bataan Death March. I don't know if you're familiar I'm with not, it. No, but it was. Um, a famous, one of the famous uh, death marches that happened in the Philippines. And some articles say he spent two and a half years, some say three and a half years, but it's a long time to be a prisoner of war. Yeah. And the conditions that those soldiers were uh, put through um, when they captured um, a lot of, um, during one of the particular battles, they thought it was about 10,000 people that they were capturing and it turned out to be 70,000. Oh my gosh. So they didn't have the room for all of these POWs. They refused help from uh, the Red Cross and it was just dysentery, disease, violence, Uh. and um, you know, just really horrible subhuman conditions there. And so he lived through that for a couple of years. And um, that'll fuck you up. That, you know, so that's the thing, you know, was, that experience in his life as a younger person, did this end up affecting his later mental stability? You know, who knows? So he did receive, I believe, some honors and medals at his, as his, um, in his time as a soldier. There's no indication that he had any trouble at that time in his life. But we're going to fast forward now a few decades. Um, and in 1986, he's a relatively new addition to Mount Pleasant. He's lived there only about four years, and he moved into a house after his mom. These are his mom or his dad. I believe it was his mother who had passed away, and then he moved into this house there. And his neighbors described him as a loner, and one of them went so far as to call him an oddball. And he supposedly enjoyed homemade booze, his dog. He spent time breeding rabbits, and he generally kept to himself. But throughout my research, I was able to find out some things that might shed some light on his character outside of just being sort of this reclusive Mm -hmm. neighbor. So seven years prior to the incident in California, in Bell Gardens, Ralph Davis is actually arrested for murdering his neighbor. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And and it was by shooting. And supposedly he got upset because he believed that the neighbor's kids were throwing rocks at his truck. And so he, he shot and killed the guy. Oh, my God. Yes. But uh, he went through trial and everything, and he was acquitted. And then I think there were some other charges that the DA could have tried to, like, press, but they just decided against it. Maybe there wasn't enough evidence or or whatever, but he doesn't uh, go to prison for it. So this is seven years prior. Um, And about a year prior, and now this is his time in Mount Pleasant, he sues Henry County, which Mount Pleasant is a part of, and he loses, and he sues them over a $500 property assessment that he claims was only worth about $130. So he's probably disputing how much tax he has to pay. Right. 
So um, there was that. Nine months prior to the incident in City Hall, um, the local Disabled Americans Veterans Chapter of Burlington, this is about 30 minutes away from Mount Pleasant, they expel Davis from the organization because of erratic and unpredictable behavior. So allegedly Davis took his complaining to extreme levels. So for example, where, you know, some people complain, you know, different organizations, you have to pay dues. And there's always people who are going to gripe about how much the dues are and, and right, complain right. about that kind of stuff. Um, he took his ranting and raving to a more aggressive and combative level. And one member even said that there was, quote, no reasoning with him or calming him down, that he would just get so worked up at these meetings that they had to write a letter and get people in, um, from the higher sort of organization outside of their own little chapter involved right. to like get him out because they couldn't handle him in the meetings anymore. Six months prior to the incident, uh, Davis went to City Hall and to the Sanitation Committee a couple of times to complain about the sewer backing up into his basement. And he believed that the city owed him money for the cost of dealing with the sewer problems, damage to his washing machine and other things in the basement. And it was about $350 worth of damage that he went to the council and said, you guys owe me this money, the sewer keeps backing up, and right. I shouldn't have to pay the bill. The city disagreed, and at one of those meetings, apparently he left muttering to himself depraved on his way out, uh, referencing the council members. And they did try to appease Davis, and they explained that a newer uh, sewer line was going to be installed, but it's, you know, those sewer lines, it's not like just tomorrow there's a new sewer line. Like, that's a no, project. it takes a lot of time. It takes a long time, and it was like a two-year process. You know, it was going to be, and but that didn't appease him. He I was mean, do, still, you, don't, do you think that he should have been reimbursed for that? I kind of feel like well, he Well, look, nobody wants their sewer backing up. Look at what happened um, yeah, in, for, in Fort yes, Lauderdale. it's a nightmare. You know, it's, an, it's a nightmare. And, and, you know, especially, I don't know what kind of waste with the sewer, but Fort Lauderdale was untreated yeah, no, waste. Yeah, no, nasty. Right? It's filling the streets. It was spilling into garages. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm always like a germaphobe sometimes. And I think dysentery, all of the disease that that could right. spread, it's, it's gross. So I get that he might be annoyed. And if he's living in that older side of town and grousing about money, maybe he didn't have the money. Maybe he didn't not. have 350 this, bucks to cover right. this. $350 is a lot of money to it's some people. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So I, it's in no way an excuse for what he no, did no, no, at all. But I can get him being annoyed at this. Um, and other people did say, yes, this was a problem. And they were sort of like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we, we can't do anything about it. This is just what happens when it rains a lot. And, you know, so I get it. Um, another thing, and this is, I didn't get the clear time, but he lived in Mount Pleasant about four years. So sometime within this four-year time period, he got annoyed at the local vet. And he felt like the vet charged too much money uh -oh. um, or hurt his dog. It was something. I've seen different differing accounts, but apparently he like rode his bike and he'd have the dog in the back. And then he had a sign around his neck that was like so-and-so vet is like a crook, you oh know, like gosh. going through the town with the sign. So <laughs> it, I don't know. I guess it's his form of public shaming. Yeah, of course. But typically... When I think of public shaming, you know, I think of, of, of course, like the cuckold of like the, um, <laughs> the 13th century where, you know, if the, the woman has cheated on the man and, and it was such a, you know, you, uh, I always think about like, how did this whole patriarchy start? And you think mm -hmm. of times where 
men were paraded through the town if their wife cheated and, and they were shamed and they had to wear the horns and they were walking and everyone has to see. So then you imagine that, that men would be like so sort of aggressive in trying to control and, and how all of these things start, I don't know, but I always think of the cuckold or I think of like, you know, the scarlet letter uh, during the Puritans, they would brand people. Like if you were right. a thief, you'd have a metal, right. they, they'd burn your skin with a T and everyone knew you were a thief. You're not the person, you know, wearing the sign, calling someone else out. But this was maybe this was his sort of, um, you know, his form of protest, you right. know, of, right. of, of doing this. But it's a little kooky. I get it. You know, <laughs> everybody's against this guy. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing um, is he supposedly shot birds in the neighborhood with pellets. And neighbors were filing complaints because they were finding like blue jays and cardinals and like these other sweet, you know, it's not like a bunch of, uh, I don't think you should shoot just any random bird anyway, but they, they weren't birds that were causing a problem, but he was just shooting them and they filed a complaint to get him to stop. So this guy to me goes beyond being simply like a grouse and a complainer and like the local grumpy guy down the street. It's a little more severe. Like when you look at everything that he's done over the past, right? like the sort of escalation. That's of, right. Yeah. It always happens that way, right? Yeah. Like it goes from like, oh, he seems harmless to he's shooting birds to, you know what I mean? It goes. And even at the meetings, those, that kind of behavior would, would be what seem that's going to escalate to me, you know? Yeah. And so, and I feel like it's always that, that in hindsight where people go, oh, well, yeah. And some of the reports were talking to neighbors saying, well, I never really felt too comfortable talking to him. He always seemed like a loner. He seemed like he didn't want to be approached, you know, and someone else even said, well, maybe I should have approached him, but I didn't know if I could. So there definitely was something about him that people felt was off a little bit. Right. And unfortunately, you know, it took sort of a tragic event for people to put all the pieces together right. rather than intervening before something happens. Mm -hmm. So how do things escalate? Well, on that day, on December 10th, he shows up at the commission meeting at City Hall, and he's been there before, so it was, you know, and people show up to commission meetings, that's what they do. And I feel like the main concern of the day for people attending is business as usual. We're gonna right. go through the agenda, listening as they work through the agenda. But, you know, maybe it was the weather, maybe it was the homemade beer, we'll yeah. never really know. But when the mayor asks, is there anything further oh, God. for this moment where people come up and sort of do public comments? Davis walks calmly toward the dais to presumably speak. And according to a, a witness, he shouts, you sons of bitches. And he fires a shot from his 22 caliber at the sewer committee member, Ralph, uh, Ronald Dupree, who was present that day. Then he walks straight toward Mayor King. He shot him point blank in the head. Then he shot another uh, city commissioner, a Joanne Sankey. Then he went back to the mayor. Um, there are reports that the mayor was sort of like getting up on his knees and he went back to him, shot him again. Oh my God. And uh, he fires eight shots in total. Wow. And people are just freaking out in the middle of this meeting. And, but following this, Davis, uh, he doesn't flee. Instead, he pulls like a Mark David Chapman. He walks, he sits down at the chamber seats and he just waits for the police to come just sits there calmly right waiting. which again is another lunatic thing to do right you know it's, like he doesn't take no. off nothing no and um unfortunately mayor king's injuries were fatal but dupree and sankey uh survived sankey was shot in the head and in the arm 
um, they, they uh, I don't remember Dupree, but Dupree, he was released a little sooner, and Sankey actually had had, like, part of her brain removed wow. from the injuries. Yeah. And the saddest little story with Sankey, this commissioner, was that uh, she was young. She was, I don't even think she was quite 40. And she, um, when uh, her husband and daughter were informed, and she had, like, a, I think the daughter was 9 or 10, oh. the daughter says, don't worry, Daddy, she has life insurance, because she thought that meant, like, it so ensures it, your life. Oh, oh, my God. It was just such a heartbreaking, just the innocence of yes. that belief for that child. And and to put, like, uh, you know, that a, a child has to go through this for their parent for for no reason, you know? So I want to make sure that Ed King uh, gets highlighted and not just uh, the horrible human being that killed him. So according to all the articles that I've read, Mayor King was incredibly well-liked, well-respected, and credited with moving Mount Pleasant's local economy forward. Um, originally, that town was like a really an agricultural town. And as that business was sort of dying out, he's the one that brought new businesses to the community, especially those distribution companies like Great. the Walmart, yeah. the direct mail. And it's that kind of leadership, I feel, in rural areas. Like you need to be innovative. You need a leader that is looking for other ways to make right. sure that your town is still thriving. Right. And so that kind of shows like the the kind of guy that he was. And I also saw that um, during his uh, funeral, I think they had, it was like nine busloads of people like had come to attend his service. So that really speaks to his character. During the eulogy, a longtime friend of his and Ernie Hayes said that and Ed King was everyone's friend. He just was supposedly a very personable and warm, friendly person. The governor at the time, Terry Branston, said that Mayor King was, quote, one of the most conscientious and capable mayors in the entire state. Oh, my gosh. And uh, Public Works City Director Roger Grunnow said that, quote, his shoes will be tremendously hard to fill. The mayor was very dedicated to his job. So what's the aftermath? Mm. Um, so after his arrest, Davis is held on a $700,000 bail, and I believe they broke it up as $500,000 for the death of the mayor and $100,000 each for the attempted murder of um, the sewer committee director and the other city commissioner. Okay. And he did put a request for an insanity defense that mm. was denied. The trial began, so that happened in December, like right before the holidays, 1986. And the trial begins late May that following year in 87. And it lasted eight days. And in June of 87, six months after the murder, Davis was convicted of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted murder. In July of that year, he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility for parole. Oh. And in addition to the life sentence, he received uh, two concurrent 25-year terms yes. for the attempted murders Good. of uh, Dupree and Sankey. And he died, I think it was in 99, at the age of 81 from cancer, but he was still imprisoned. Oh, my God. So I always like to do my little points of interest at the end. And um, one thing I found really interesting with this story was the man who replaced Mayor Ed King was a Tom Vilsack. And he moved on to become the governor of Iowa. He put in a presidential bid in 2008 and lost. And he was appointed to serve as the U.S. Agriculture Secretary in the Obama administration. Cool. And so he's done a lot of wonderful yeah. things. And the sort of fun fact was that King's dad went to him. He was an attorney at the time and said uh, with uh, 
Vilsack says with the tears in his eyes that I please I want you to run for my son's seat oh my gosh. and he's like I don't want anything to do with politics and he's like I, I need you to do this like please oh. do it and he did it and then he's done all these wonderful things since so I thought that was like a yeah. really wonderful you know I mean it's tragic that he died but it's wonderful that that, that a good person took the seat and then went on to do really wonderful things yeah um, and the other thing that he did Vilsack is after the mayor died, and this to me was so sad, is that on his desk they saw that there were plans for a fountain like in the center of town and there was like some old like statue and he had like these plans for like this really nice fountain to like spruce up the town. And so Vilsack was like, we have to make sure that his fountain gets Aww. made. And so he, he raised the money when he was mayor and they end up like dedicating the fountain. And just recently in 2015, they took it down. The wife had left um, when she died in 2014. King's widow like bequeathed this money to have the fountain refurbished, and then they did Aww. a rededication. So the townspeople still remember Ed yes. King, and, and it's like a memorial fountain to him, which I think is really wonderful too. Mm. Um, another point of interest um, that I just thought was completely bonkers is that Davis showed absolutely no remorse from the beginning. So uh, remember that $700,000 bail, like the judge was like, hey, do you have that bail money? And he just smirked at the judge. And he, he then he further, he scoffed and said he had no regrets for what he did. And then another article noted that Davis felt like he had no other choice, that his only choice for this disputed sewer bill was to like go in there and kill these people. And... um he was asked if he could or would change anything from that fateful day and his response was i'd get a better gun yeah you know I mean, it, but none of this is surprising right like he just didn't seem like somebody who who cared about i mean i i'm not trying to make excuses but everything that he went through it's just it was he didn't value what was going on in his life or other people like it just it, didn't seem and he dealt with things in a very aggressive way Yes, so and it doesn't he feels surprise just, me. Like he, he feels genuinely justified yeah. in the action, like in his mind. Um, he did note during trial that he did not believe that his experience as a POW influenced him in any oh, way. Of course not. He's and, healthy, right? He's yeah. mentally very healthy. <laughs> and then you wonder, like, and this all goes back to, you know, issues that are still relevant today. Stability, access, you know, clearly this is someone who was involved in a murder seven years prior. Yeah. You know, who clearly, um, I, I believe he was working on, I don't I don't know what the deal was with, with disability regarding being a vet. So there were some issues going on, yet he still had access to this firearm, you know? Right. And so, and that's the thing that's just incredibly upsetting. And the other thing I found in my research is that this particular day is um, the League of California Cities, they put a report together called the physical security and public officials and it looked at like how do we protect our public officials um, from you know they they talked about things from threatening phone calls bomb threats houses being burned down like all the things that um, threaten the lives of our public officials right. and how do they get protected and right. what's private and what's public and access to like you know should constituents know the home address or oh. home phone numbers you know <laughs> things like that or yeah. you know um and the three uh cases they cited as far as sort of violence was they cited the murder of mayor ed king wow um they cited the um 
New York Mayor Moscone and Harvey Milk. Oh. And they cited um, a- another incident that happened in another city that's escaping me at the moment. Um, but they talked about measures to protect elected officials, you know, bulletproof glass on the dais, um, oh, more armed officials. And, you know, again, what about some common sense uh, gun reform, mm. you know, or other things? But I get it. Like, it's it's it just opens up like and that came out i want to say in uh the 2000s that they brought this up and they were still referencing those older wow. cases because it's something i guess that they have to kind of consider and think about so i just thought that was interesting that it's again like these incidents end up sparking these debates and conversations about public private and elected officials life and what level of protection do they deserve or need to have you know, once they take a I seat. Think, I think that their addresses should absolutely be hidden. I mean, you know, especially with the internet now, yes. you know, they get messages from what appears some to be anonymous, right? Of course, if you were to look into yes. it, you could probably find out who they are. But um, no, you have to, they have to be protected at all yeah. costs. I mean, this, they're, they're elected to do a job. They're not there to be berated and threatened. And yes. no, 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 no. Yeah. So I can, you know, so it's just a shame that, um, this whole thing transpired, but I just, I found it, um, you know, just interesting and sad. So that's the story of Mayor Ed King and his killer, Ralph Oren. Awesome story. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. I'm excited to hear yours. (laughs) Okay. Oh, wait, should we do a shout out to our Patreon supporter? Yes, go do it. We have to shout out Medea. Girl, Girl, thank you. Our first ever Patreon supporter. And straight to the bleeding heart level. What? Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's so beyond amazing. We're so excited and it's incredible. And we're so beyond, 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 beyond thankful. Yes. So thank you. Yes. And look out uh, in the mail for your your thank you note and your sticker yes and anyone else who wants to get talked about on here by these lovely voices all you have to do is give us some money yes okay so my story is takes place in one of my favorite cities in the whole world oh do you know what that is i want to take a guess only because (laughs) of what you said earlier so could it be Chicago? It is. It's oh. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I love the city. Okay. Oh. I love the food. I love the music. Like blues, Chicago blues is like one of my favorite, you know, genres of music ever. I love it. But the best and most fun thing about Chicago is how corrupt it is. Right. Oh. Like it has the best <laughs> stories ever. And I've been there twice and I love it. I can't wait to go back again. I, I want to take I've the kids. I've never been and there's I'd love so to go. There's so much to do and there's so much for the kids to do. It's such a great city. It's manageable. You know, it's easy to walk. It's so much fun. But everywhere you go, it's history, you know? Yeah. And we've been on these fantastic tours there, and they tell you all about who's who and what happened where and what this story and that story. And it's so fantastic. I love this city. And I think that we could do, like, an entire episode about Chicago. Maybe if we oh. want to do that. You know, that where we just fun. talk about all this, like, go through the timeline of, like, how <laughs> what's been going on there in politics because it's so rich and, and dirty and fantastic. I love it. Oh, yay. So this story is still unfolding today. This is something that's happened recently. Oh, this is a new story. It's new. So we really don't know how it's going to, you know, finish out for this guy. But 
I'm going to talk about Alderman Edward M. Burke of Chicago's 14th Ward. Oh. Yes. So a little bit about Chicago. Do you know anything about how their city council works? I don't really. Okay, so it's a very interesting city. A lot of cities, I guess, were originally set up this way. Um, but they're set up, uh, they have a what they call the Chicago City Council, and um, it's the legislative branch of government for the city. So um, it has 50 wards. They divide oh. the city up in, like, districts, but they call them wards. And each one of those has an alderman who's okay. the, the leader, right? That's their yeah. commissioner, if you want to say, or something, yeah. right? And so, but the difference is, is that the um, alderman has a lot of power, okay? And there's no term limits also, which is oh. crazy to me, yeah. So the council meets on a regular basis. Oh, their terms are for four years, right? But there's no term limits, so they can serve forever. Um, and the council meet, meets on a regular basis, usually monthly, to consider ordinances, orders, resolutions, um, and any subject matter, like code changes, anything that has to do with the city, right. they make all of those decisions. And they meet at City Hall in downtown Chicago. So, and our offices are all in that building too. So the presiding officer of the council is, of course, the mayor of Chicago. Um, and the secretary is the clerk of court, the city clerk of Chicago, and both positions are citywide elected offices. And in the absence of the mayor, an alderman is elected to be the position of pres president pro tempore, which means they serve as the presiding officer temporarily when the mayor is not, when the mayor's absent. Okay. So, so this, you runs the meetings and yes. can do roll call. Yes, and, and okay. they ch at the beginning of every term, they figure out who that's going to be. So uh, the city council was established in 1837. Mm. It's amazing, right? Um, and then since 1923, they've had these 50 wards. And they redistrict them or gerrymander them mm. every 10 years when the census comes out. Okay. Right? So if you're a powerful alderman and you're white, let's say, you can, every 10 years, you can have this redistrict so that you can continue to be reelected, right? Like if, you're, if your best votes are coming from white people, like you can't reach it, you're going to keep changing the lines right. of your Just to guarantee so that you get reelected. Yeah. Yes. So... The council it has internally has different um, committees. So there's the finance committee, the health committee, the you know, and they draft legislation. That's then all these aldermen sit on those committees, and one of them's like the head of it, and then they draft legislation that's then voted on, prepared, voted on, and then brought to the main council to vote on to become city policy, city legislation, right? Okay, and. Uh, all of this is very important work. Like a lot of people wanted to be alderman more than they wanted to be a U.S. congressperson from or a state legislator from from Illinois because it was such a coveted position to have. Obviously, if you get keep getting reelected, it's lifelong. Yeah. But um, these extras that came along with your job, mm. and the very first alderman that was convicted of accepting bribes for a crooked, a crooked contract was in 1869 like that's so right, right <laughs> from forever. the get-go right forever. from the get-go yeah it's been forever yeah and between 1973 and 2012 31 aldermen were convicted of corruption so it's My goodness. it's pretty crazy but when we say and it, that seems it's like a low greed. number it's greed it's greed but it seems that seems like a low number considering how many aldermen there are but um that's how many are convicted usually they get they just get slapped with a fine 
you know, if it's right. nothing too serious, they get slapped with or a they fine. they get away with it. And they get away with it. Um, like, for example, like over half of elected Chicago aldermen took illegal campaign contributions totaling $282,000 in 2013. Wow. You know, like, it's just, and that's, taking that in, like, you get thrown out. Right. Well, and that's a total a of all of them, not yeah. one individual. 31 of them. Or half. Half of them. Yeah. So 25. So let's talk about aldermanic. Aldermanic? Alder, what do you, how would you pronounce that? An alderman. How do you say aldermanic? Aldermanic? I, I'm not not sure i don't know either let's say aldermanic aldermanic <laughs> are we using let's it stare at each other and say it over and over again or are we so the he... privilege they have they call it alderman privilege and aldermanic okay. privilege okay manic it just sounds weird saying manic i like i'm gonna it. edit all this out it's just another <laughs> sorry so so there's this privilege, like I said, that they have. So the Chicago's aldermen are generally given exceptional deference call, called aldermanic, aldermanic privilege <laughs> or prerogative to control city decisions and services within their ward. And this is an unwritten and informal practice that emerged in the tw- early 20th century. And it gives the aldermen control over zoning, licenses, permits, property tax reductions, city contracts, and patronage jobs in their wards. Mm. So political scientists, of course, have said that this facilitates corruption of course and the system has been, been described as like 50 aldermen serving as essentially 50 mayors and what they could do is they could say hey if you get all these people to come vote for me i'll give you a job hey if you right. i'll pay you a hundred dollars if you get 10 people to vote for me or it's all or you the promise jobs yes grease some palms yes i'll yeah. get your company this i'll get this da, 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 da. some of these interviews that i watched with edward burke um were really really fascinating and he talked about how it was better then because they've kind of cracked down on it in recent years. But it was like, it was it was called, considered taking care of everybody. We're taking yeah. care of the people in our ward. You know, we bring them a turkey on Thanksgiving. You know, you be <laughs> kind. You give them gifts and da, 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 You know what I mean? Yes. I really, I love, I love that. So, okay, let's talk about our friend Edward Burke. So, Edward Burke was born on December 29th, 1943 in Chicago. That's how he says it. Chicago. You know how they say that? I love yeah. it. I love a Chicago accent. Um, his father, Joseph Burke, was a Cook County Sheriff and served as a committee man for the 14th Ward before being elected alderman for the 14th Ward in 1953. So here's the thing about these wards, okay? And this is how you would have a powerful ward is that because of the party, whether it's the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, your your party would have committees, and the committees would be all these guys that would run around and make knock on doors and say, hey, are you going to vote? Hey, do you like Ed Burke? And they'd put a yes by your name or they put a no by your name. And then when election day came, they'd go out to all those houses again that, that were yeses and they'd do whatever they can to get that person to go vote. Oh, you need a babysitter? My sister's coming over to babysit. Oh, you need a ride? Get in my car. I'm taking down. This is how it was. And so, so these guys would run around and there was one person in charge of them, which was the committee man. And sometimes that guy was more important or, you know, had more power than anybody else because he's the one who said who's going to be voted the alderman. Mm. So it was always like who's greasing who. Yeah. And, and usually before you become alderman, you're the committee man. Okay, so his dad. So they're, just, they're priming people for yes, the spot. So you're, everybody's moving up, right? And this is a family business. It seems his dad is in this everybody's position. Fa- everybody, even people serving now. Their dad was this. Their mom was this. Da, 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 da. That's how a lot of it, that's how it goes over there, right? So his dad was elected the alderman in 19, November 1953. So meanwhile, Burke graduated with his um, bachelor's degree from DePaul University in 1965. He worked for three years as a Chicago police officer. 
And then during that time, he was also attending law school at uh, DePaul University. So in 1968, he received his law degree and he was admitted to the Illinois bar. He also married his wife, um, his girlfriend or his fiance at the time, Anne Marie, who's now uh, a current Illinois Supreme Court judge. Oh, that's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Edward's father died of cancer in 1968. So only a few, like 10 years after he had been elected alderman. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time of his death, uh, of course, Edward was still a police officer at the Sun. Right. And um, all of the committee men got together and took a vote to make the Sun now the committee man. Oh, so they just appointed him. They just appointed him. They kind of did the secret vote oh. and made him the committee man, which was pretty nice. But, you know. Well... I know. It's not really. <laughs> I think they're really like, fair. Keep it in the family. Yeah. Keep it in the family. <laughs> so on March 11th, 1969, at 24 years old, he was elected. 24? Yeah. He was then elected alderman. Elected? The, yes. Because then after he was the committee man, uh, then he moved up to alderman. Okay. And he was uh, uh, alderman of the 14th Ward, and he was the youngest person in Chicago's history to become an alderman. Okay. A position, He's a baby, 24. Yeah, yes, a position he still holds today. What? Yes, honey. This is it. This was his life. This I mean, it's great, life. but I at the same time, at the same time, like, let's. That's <laughs> This is the night. This is what you know somebody He's like, like Clark Kent. Yes. Except, like, n- he's like a nerdy. Well, no, Clark Kent's supposed to be nerdy, but he's sort of, like, cute nerdy. This guy is just nerdy, nerdy. Yeah. Version. Wannabe Clark Kent, but he's not. Yeah. But he's definitely, he's got the side part, the really, uh, what did they use? What kind of grease did they use? Palm, what is that called? Oh my God, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're saying. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he has on his head. It's definitely. (sighs) Okay. Holding down those stray hairs. Mm. (laughs) So, okay, so now he's an alderman, right? And from what I can tell, uh, some people weren't really happy that he was like moved up so quickly, but you know what? this is Chicago. You got to deal with it, right? Like, yeah. Oh, you can go sleep in that river. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so let's talk about his rise to power. Um, and after the 1971 aldermanic, aldermanic elections, the council approved the appointment of Burke as the chairman of the police and fire committee. Um, and then between 1972 and 1973, Burke joined alderman Edward Vordelak in a dissentant, Descendant caucus of aldermen demanding a greater voice in the city affairs from Mayor Richard J. Daly and Finance Committee Chair Thomas Keene. And they were labeling these guys as like these disruptors, you know, him and this buddy of his. They were disrupting things and they were kind of, they wanted more, they wanted to be able to do more. Okay. You know, and the older guys were like, take it easy, kids. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, get the fuck out of here. So uh, just always causing trouble and. and but sometimes you, you want that. No, I mean, you want some people to shake things up. Yeah. Sometimes. No, sometimes. Depending on, I guess, what's being, uh, yeah, what the topic at hand is. Yeah. And then, uh, so then, like, this, it was known that they were disruptors in the 1978 when this Jane Byrne was running as mayor to mayor. She was talking about, you know, getting these the, these evil men out of the office and, and how they don't do anything and they just sit there and cause trouble. And, she, and when the, she was pressed to ask to, to name a couple of those people, she named those two. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I know. So let's move to 1983. So in 1983, Chicago elected its first black mayor, Harold Washington. Um, Unfortunately, members of the city council weren't having it, of course. Um, 
and 29 the 29 aldermen who would, would stop at nothing to make sure washington couldn't get anything done were known as the vordelac 29 led of course by edward burke and uh his friend edward vordelac um they became a city council majority voting block which included 28 white men and one puerto rican man who opposed mayor washington's agenda for the first three years of his term from I mean, 1983 so to 1986 they just, they're just wasting everyone's time yes constituents time their concerns money just because they're yep narrow-minded yeah and they have 29 so of the 50 they're yeah. they're making sure so they're nothing the happens doesn't uh, that sound familiar don't does. you remember a congress mm. doing this to our first black president mm. sounds a little familiar it, it does it does <laughs> so i'm this, thinking uh, i'm visualizing a, a, a turkey yeah turtle yeah <laughs> turkey turtle blend maybe yeah okay <laughs> so this time period in the council's history is known as the council wars because you know the other people who are like trying to get stuff yeah to get anything done. i mean you need to get things done. this yeah. is why people hate the bureaucracy government. and government you're right you're i right. mean for for this kind of nonsense yeah it's so incredibly wasteful yeah and it was racially charged, yeah, right? I mean, I it wasn't mean, anything being... It's not like Harold Washington was a bad guy. It was yeah. just, just because he was black. And, of course, they wouldn't tell you that, but... Please. Yeah. So, on May 2nd, 1983, during the first city council meeting of the Washington administration, the mayor and some aldermen left the meeting. Vordelac was the president pro tempore of the city council, right? So, oh, he was and he's, on, and he's the one that's part of the, yes. the distractor. Yes. So, he continued running the meeting. And he chose Burke, Edward Burke, to be the head, the new chair of the very powerful finance committee. Uh-oh. Yeah. Burke assumed a very ro vocal role against Washington, right? He sued in Cook County Circuit Court to remove Washington from office, contending that Washington forfeited his office by being three weeks late in filing a routine financial disclosure what? by the, you know, by the deadline. And of course, the suit was dismissed. And then he asked Illinois Attorney General Neil Hardigan to seek the removal of Washington. Of course, the request was denied. I mean, he was just going on and on and on. And then at the time, Richard M. Daly uh, was the Cook County State's Attorney, and he was saying this is personal hatred and it's going too far. Yeah. You know, like it's enough already. Um, and then in the spring of 1987, in the Chicago's municipal elections, Volderlack, Volderlack, rather than seeking re-election re as an alderman, right, risking this like forever job you could have, right, he ran on as the Solidarity Party. I've never heard of that. <laughs> Stupid. He ran as a candidate challenging Washington for mayor, and he lost. So Washington was so, reelected. <laughs> did he just did he make up a party? Yeah, he just like made it up oh. to run against Washington, thinking he was gonna. You know, of course, the egos get the best yes. of us. Like, oh, everybody's for me. Everybody's gonna vote for me. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I really don't like no. his use of that because no, ew. Yeah, well, he's an asshole. Yeah. I mean, come on. And of course, Washington wins reelection, and then also in that like wave of of the, that election 25 council seats uh new council seats like aldermen were elected and they were Ooh. all allies of washington yes so now it's like power is back in his corner Good. Blah, blah, blah blah yeah so burke led the opposition in the city council uh still against washington but washington <laughs> appointed his friend timothy c c evans who was an alderman um to be to replace burke as the head of the the finance committee which of course Ooh, was a did big... they find some dirt on him when he was no head not of that yet finance? not yet yeah. here's a picture of burke and tim evans 
Like this, they wow. sat right next to each other no, in the city that, council, and they wouldn't even look at yeah, each other. Yeah, this picture says so much. They are literally yeah. back, yeah, to back in avoiding. And you can watch really great each other. Um, yeah, uh, no, they the body want... language is is pretty powerful yeah. in that picture. Um, and they, you can watch really great videos of of the arguing, the fighting that happens on the floor of that those city <sighs> council meetings. But you know, again, time wasters. Like, yeah, you know, like that 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 that. Again, like you said, the ego and and this narrow mindedness that takes time away from things that need to get done. Right. There is a whole constituency of people, and you're wasting and 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 this one person is wasting everyone's time with arguments. I know. It's crazy. Well, it's to also me. about keeping power. You know, it's about keeping power and keeping staying in there, and you know, being afraid of what is to come if god forbid a black person is elected mayor like what does that mean for this city my city you oh, know please the change it's chicago uh, listen the, but the, <laughs> you know how long have white people been in power know. you know and it's like this little dent in this in this stronghold and they can't take it cannot take it these and, guys and rather than you know um compromise working yeah. together no common ground it's it's all about wasting time. Yeah. So um, very sadly, though, on November 25th, 1987, while still elected mayor, Harold Washington passed away from a heart attack. He was oh, at City Hall when no. it happened. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, I'm not, this is totally, what, conjecture? Like, yeah. I, you know, but like, stop giving this guy a hard time. Yeah. Like, he can't even do his job. And now he's like, you think that helped? Did that help? All that yeah. agitation? Like, what? Leave him alone, this guy. I know. Just run the city. Ugh. So the council selected Alderman Eugene Sawyer to serve as mayor until the next mayor election, which was in 1989. And in that election, Richard M. Daly, I don't know if you know Daly, that sounds like Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Like that family's been around yes. forever. So in that election, Richard M. Daly was elected, and, and in the spring of 1989, he nominated Burke to, again, be the head of the very powerful finance committee, and that's a position that B Burke would hold for the next 30 years. My God. Yeah. I feel like that all of these positions you need to bring in new people you cannot have the same people for 30 years in a position i know you need just new insight you need to be representing the needs of all people and sometimes people get stuck in their ways well this is kind know. of why i am a fan of like let's do term limits for everything yes. because how many times someone like okay we have it for president why can't we have it for anything else and because when you have this time like deadline of how you how long you had to do the the work then maybe you'll get it done yeah but if you have 30 years to fuck around yeah and get do you know bad things Nobody's or even, even to do nothing and just hold things up. You're still getting your paycheck. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. All the red tape that you can. I I, I know. So let's talk about um, the kind of things that, that he'd be able to do as the, all the things that he did for the next, for this whole time he was in office. Like all the power that he amassed and, and blah, blah, blah. So the chairman of the finance committee is considered the number two spot in government after the mayor. It's like the most powerful, you know, spot you can have. It's like a vice mayor. Yes. Well, 
kind of, but it's more like because you're in charge of all this finances for the entire city. So almost all expenditures, tax mayor, uh, matters, and many city contracts must be recommended by the finance committee before mm. they can be considered for the council. Um, as chairman of the committee, Burke controlled a 63-member staff and $2.2 million uh, annual budget. And in the city self-managed, um, it's also the city self-managed workers' comp compensation program. Mm. So they determine who, what approve, what amounts get approved for disability claims. I mean, they've got their hand in pretty much a right. lot and of money. And is there any oversight committee for these? No. Audits, checks? No. Okay. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we got a problem. Yes. This is a problem. Okay. Um, he also controlled a $1.3 million tax taxpayer-funded payroll account available to the alderman with no no scrutiny. This is the other thing. So, so they, they just say we need X amount of dollars. Yeah. So for the entire, all the aldermen, they've got $1.3 million to, I need a guy to go run and get me a newspaper every day. I'm going to pay him, you know, $10 a day or whatever just to get me my paper in the morning. Like they have the discretion to spend this money. And in 2008, he spent $70,164 of this and more than any other alderman, like the most was like twenty six thousand dollars. But what was he spending the seventy grand on? Just random, yeah, random stuff here and there. But again, there's no scrutiny. There's no need to like even. But he's dipping in it. Wow. Yeah. So um, he was also a member of the city council committees for the aviation, for budget and op government operation, energy, environmental protection, public utilities, and zoning. So he's he's everywhere. He's in all of this stuff, right? And also, Burke was a member of the Chicago Planning Commission and Economic Development Commission. So, like, talking about construction and zoning and wow. money, honey, money, 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 yeah. right? Um, <laughs> then he also controlled three well-funded political action committees, um, the Friends of Edward M. Burke, the 14th Ward Regular Democratic Organization, and the Burnham Committee. The Friends of what is Edward the Friends Burke? Of, yeah. So, he, if he's the head of that committee, people can donate money, money to that that political action committee and he can give it to the candidates he likes isn't that a conflict of interest mm. no? we're talking about state office mm. it, i don't know if he would do it to alderman but anybody like running for mayor they would give money to okay. people he liked yeah but it's not coming from him it's this you know political action committees yeah. can be a little bit shady too yeah. you know like, because for sure yeah they pay for ads yeah. against somebody he also was heavily influencing the judges, Illinois judges elections that are partisan or that are, that are, uh, they're nonpartisan, right? So you yeah. can't really know, wow. but he was giving money to those races too. So he was heavily involved in the Cook County Democratic Party and like who was being elected, who was being uh, endorsed, how much money they're getting. Like he had his hands in like everything, you know? Yeah. So, um, Okay. Let's get going. You okay, ready for this? Because now we got a background of who our guy is. He's super powerful, super wealthy. Yes, has he's, his hands in everything. He still has his law firm. He has a law firm, so he's still practicing law. He still has a partner in the law firm. So, so there's things happening all over the place. They get right. like I think it's I read that they get paid seventy seven thousand dollars a year to be an alderman, but it's a job that's like twenty four hours a day. So they still most of these guys still have their jobs. Wow. So they're really making money. They're making money, but. Again, they they're also able to get a little thing on the side yeah. over here. Like there's all these, you know, these, yeah. and they can still work. Okay, this the packet is the thing that's just sticking with me because I feel like they're I don't know it just doesn't feel right with the positions that he holds mm -hmm. that he should be able to do this. And I know that it's a separate thing and it's in his name, but it just feels like a conflict of interest. Yeah, 
and the the influence that he can yield with his current position it doesn't feel right to me right if he's just an attorney in a law firm fine but because he's so immersed in the city and committees and whatnot and and I get that there's some probably legal ability that allows it but it just still feels weird to me I think also when you're there for that long you have to if you're not amassing power and doing things in the way that he was doing you might as well not even be there like that that's what that whole thing is about in Chicago it is about power and how long you can hold on to it and this guy was just the best at it Mm -hmm. you know so um so first incident with with him Uh in 1994 Maria D'Amico the daughter of Alderman Anthony Lorino of the 39th Ward pleaded guilty to having collected tens of thousands of dollars in no work jobs between 1981 and 1994 from three separate public agencies the Cook County Sheriff Cook County Clerk and the City Council's Finance Committee where Burke was the chairman Mm. Burke denied knowing D'Amico rarely ever showed up to work he's like I don't know what you're talking about Oh my god. <laughs> um was the first indictment. Everybody, no one ever knows. Yeah, I don't know. Um D'Amico was the first indictment in what became a federal investigation of ghost payrolling known as Operation Haunted Hall. Ooh. So have you heard, you've heard of ghost payroll. We talked I, about it, right, with the guy last week, yeah. I think it was, um, where they put somebody on the books but the guy's yeah. person's not really there, but yes. they're getting paid anyway. Yes. Right. So Operation Haunted Hall. So in January 1995, the Operation um, Haunted Hall grand jury subpoenaed the personal records of three city council committees, finance, budget, and traffic. Um, Burke's law firm had employed – so here's another one. So Burke's law firm had employed Joseph A. Martinez, a real estate tax appeal attorney, as a full-time partner since 1977. And then in 1981, Mayor Jane Byrne, who I mentioned earlier, appointed Martinez to replace the resigning 31st 31st Ward Alderman. Um, Martinez took the job. He served out the remainder of uh, the guy's term, but then he declined to run for re-election when the Ward Committee endorsed a challenger. He was like, that's fine. I'm not running again anyway. Because (laughs) between 1985 and 1992, Martinez received $91,000 in wages and benefits for doing little or no work for city council committees and was a t- he was one of these targets and he knew and it, it so he's like i better get out of this yeah alderman seat before i get going with this right so in 1995 after the federal subpoena of council committee personal records martinez returned the ninety one thousand dollars, sending cash to city hall in three installments wow <laughs> so he's trying to he's like I don't, just take it back i don't want it to take it back take it back um he was charged and he pled guilty on january 23rd 1997 so in his plea agreement, he admitted he was a ghost payroller on city council committees, starting with the finance committee in 1987, and he said that he was employed in each committee job in order to receive health insurance. So Mart- this was an attorney? Yes. So he, he doesn't have insurance from his firm? Well, Martinez's attorney said that Burke got Martinez the job because Burke's law firm didn't offer health insurance. So remember, Martinez has been hired by Burke at, the, at his right. own law, personal law firm, but they were trying to get out of paying for health insurance. So don't worry. I'm, I, we, this company, we're not going to give you health insurance, but I'm going to get you a job at the city. Oh, so he's going to And we're going to put you on that insurance. payroll so you can get insurance from the city. Wow. Yeah. Kind of like how Walmart employs yeah. like all of these people and pays them nothing. And then it's like, oh, you need health insurance? Here's a Medicaid form. Here's right. how you can get on welfare to balance out the fact that I'm not paying for your health right. insurance and I'm not going to give you Same exact thing. Wow. One of the wealthiest people in the city – like a law firm is yeah. booming it's got tons of money but we're not going to pay health insurance we'll just slide it slide it over here oh my god the city can pay for it that is so 
just incredibly yeah. nuts. Yeah. Um, at the sentencing uh, hearing for Chicago attorney, a federal agent testified that the attorney said, this is another person who had gotten caught up in another attorney. Um, the federal agent testified that the attorney said that his job with Burke's finance committee only required four hours of, of work a week, although he was paid a full-time salary. What? <laughs> well, he's you know, also an attorney yes. at the other place. Well, know. you know, that's a part of it, too, for me is, like, I don't ever get these kinds of, like, tips. Wow. <laughs> I'm, like, really working for a full-time salary. Like, where's my four-hour-a-day job? Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure as an attorney at the other, at the original job, he's making enough money to pay for his own insurance maybe out of his pocket of, well you would think you know you so would think. i know it's 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 ridiculous i know so well nobody wants to pay for anything that they don't have to pay for yeah but you I know mean. and the same thing with that woman even though i had read an article that D'Amico, uh, she was saying i kept getting this money and i felt like i know i didn't work for this money I should probably say something to somebody, but you know, I'm gonna just keep taking it. You know, no. Uh, listen, no. There's people out there that do it. Look oh. at this. You know, it's all over the place. Yeah. So uh, let's see. On January eighth, nineteen ninety-eight, federal prosecutors in Operation Haunted Hall indicted another Chicago attorney for collecting nine thousand two hundred twenty-three dollars in wages and benefits from the Finance Committee um, from it, back in nineteen ninety-one, where he did little or no work. Burke was not charged with any wrongdoing in the probe. They couldn't get him on anything, mm. you know? Um, but by 1990... Well, he's fixing all... He's on yeah. all the committees, so he can yeah. he can really hide <laughs> move, everything. Move everything shuffle around. Shuffle everything about. Yeah. And so by 1999, Operation Haunted Hall resulted in 34 guilty pleas, one wow. conviction after trial, and one acquittal. So around... So then... So there's this very funny thing that pops up in this, in this guy's story um, that I thought I would touch on a little bit, but... It's I, when I was putting it all together, I was like, "Oh, this is funny. This happens in 1999, right around the time that he's being looked at in this way. That like maybe he's involved in this. That um, in April 1999, Roman Catholic priest and activist Michael Fleger, a pastor of Saint Sabina Parish in Chicago's uh, Auburn Gresham neighborhood, wrote a letter to Chicago Police Superintendent Terry Hilliard, complaining about the glorification of violence on the Jerry Springer Show, a popular TV Wait. show, and it, that filmed and was produced yes, in Chicago. Yes. Okay, you remember Jerry Springer? Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry. Yes, yes. Oh my God, the best, oh the God. best. Okay, so this was at the height of Jerry Springer. Like 1999 was like the biggest, yeah. you know, ratings, uh. beating Oprah in the ratings. Like it was a huge. Wait, deal. wasn't he a mayor as well? He was of, of Cincinnati. Yes, 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 yes. yes. So um, Burke showed about 10 minutes. So he complained to the the, the, sh the police the superintendent, this priest did. And then about the, the Jerry Springer show? Yeah, because it was so violent. He was like, how is this allowed to even happen? Why is it happening in Chicago? Is this like a red herring? Is he deflecting This attention? is what I'm thinking. This is what I was thinking. Okay. Because the letter went from the police superintendent to Burke, right? Maybe because he's part of the police and fire committee. I don't know. So okay. Burke's like, well, we're going to take the... In my mind, it's like, let's hold these press hearings and get this this shit off my name about the uh, the health oh, insurance yeah, stuff and the ghost payrolling and let's 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 you know get a little theatrics going right oh dear yeah so burke showed about 10 minutes of clips from the show which must have been so much fun at the april 20th 1999 meeting of the city council let's just say we can't have our children <laughs> like, watch like, jerry springer yeah. <laughs> um, he showed at the city council's oh. police and fire committee 
uh, fire committee, right, that end service and convinced aldermen to invite under threat of subpoena the show host Jerry Springer to testify under oath as to whether the violence of the show was genuine or scripted. Wait, but okay. So what but what purpose is this serving? Like we want to protect our well, okay, so constituents. We we don't want to air Jerry Springer. We want to ban it from the television. I I Well here, let's get into it. <laughs> so if it's scripted, Burke proposed to force the show to obtain a city entertainment license. And if it's genuine, Burke proposed that an off duty Chicago policeman who would be providing security at the show, arrest any guests that fight on the set. Now, that was the whole thing about Jerry Springer. That's why people watched Jerry Springer. That's why they watched it. They wanted to see people go nuts. So why would the show ever let that happen? I I mean, I didn't watch a lot of Jerry Springer. I feel like my husband uh, watched a lot of (laughs) Jerry Springer because he's he's mentioned, you know, every once in a while he'll go, I like Jerry Springer. But... I always feel like Jerry Springer would do that little sidestep, like he, yes. you know, and then the all of a sudden it was like break out yeah, on yeah, the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he just kind of stand to the side yes. and just watch. And also, you know, what they kind of are asking is like, is this like wrestling? Right? Is this a real thing? Is it not? They're not going to admit it's anything a little, like that. Though. I mean, reality yeah. TV, there's everything scripted. Yeah, so a little um, bit. So the hearing attracted more than 21 television, they did do the hearing, 21 television news crews from around the country, including Court TV, MSNBC, Fox News, a film crew from Jerry Springer's show, dozens of print reporters, and 75 of Springer's fans. And then, of course, Burke led the questioning. I know. It's so stupid. Um, none of the aldermen asked Springer like if the violence. Circus. It's of course that's he the brought point. the circus to town, and that's the point, right? Yeah. So none of the aldermen asked Springer if the violence was staged until more than an hour into the three-hour hearing. Springer three-hour hearing. Yeah. Springer well. spent most of the time sparring with Burke and handled the inquiry because here's the thing: I read this really. You know, the thing about Jerry Springer is he was pretty laid back and didn't. It didn't seem like he was even taking any of it so seriously all the time, right. and so even like during the hearing. This this one one of these aldermen was asking a question, and this woman who was a, an alderman, she started to be like, "He already answered that question. Why are you asking him?" And he goes, I, "Why won't you?" You know, the alderman says to her, "Like, why won't you let me ask a question?" And Jerry Springer gets to the mic and goes, "Throw a chair at her." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! Like he's just a dick. Like he doesn't yeah. care. He's like, this is a joke, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so it's stupid. It's the Jerry Springer show. It's like, right. It's, it's so dumb. So this dumb. isn't. Yeah, I mean, don't take it seriously. No. Right. So he said that the production company promised to, you know, not have so much violence, but it never, that never happened. And they never did anything. And like nothing further ever happened from the council didn't do anything. They didn't put a police officer. They didn't get, make them get an entertainment license. It kind of like, that was the end of it. Right. Yeah. So it was just ridiculous. Yeah. I so, think you're right. I think he brought the circus to, to town. Yeah. And all that noise, his story is, is kind of getting buried beneath it and yes, people can't exactly you know, exactly it's not in the forefront it's not gonna be on the front page yep. it's not gonna be yeah you know the, the on the news that night right he probably went to dinner with jerry springer afterwards you know what i mean oh for sure yeah so let's go to 2019 here we are all right now he's been nothing has been coming up about him there had been rumors about over the years about him being involved in like underhanded contracts and things that benefited him and Burke, you know, and, 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 but nothing is ever proven. And, and other aldermen would go down around him and things that were happening, but he always seemed to like be at that top where he was on the finance committee. Still, he was still nothing getting sticks. elected the, over the and over again. Don. Nothing yeah. sticks to him. Perfect. Like nothing. So very shocking news in Chicago on January 3rd, 2019, 
Oh, um, so this is very, very recent. Yes. So federal charges were unsealed that stated Ooh. that Burke used his power as an alderman to pressure Burger King executives to hire his private law firm to do property tax work for them. Well, that's a huge corporation. It's, it is. Yeah. It's but it was a, a big... private, it was like a, a franchise owner. Oh. Okay. But still, they yeah. had owned some other franchise. I mean, they, you know, so... Um, I guess I should have said that instead of Burger King. Yeah. But it was franchise owners right. of Burger King. So he's, he's strong arming local businessmen yes. into to, using his services. Yes. And they <laughs> went and complained. They should. Yeah. Um, Burke was facing a federal count of attempted extortion, appeared in court the same day, and was released on a $10,000 um, unsecured bond. Let me show you a picture of him. This is him today. Oh. You know. <laughs> he's, got, he's, got he, that, he's got that grimace. But he's still yes. kind of, you know. He's got those pinstripes. He was always this really great dresser. The way you know? he's just pursing his mouth in yeah. this just severe frown. But this is the but guy. But the suit's nice. The suit's nice. But this is the guy who's now been in power for, you know, since 1968 and is now about to possibly go down. Oh. And a lot of people were like, it was a matter of time. You know, like he should have gotten out while he was still at the top. Yes. You know, he could have retired. He, you know, worked as, a, as an attorney. Well, I mean, it's... Why does he need to strong arm local businesses? I, don't know. I, I mean, I that almost, was, I maybe almost feel like power and control. He wants yes. his his reach everywhere. Or this is what he was always doing, and it's the first time somebody actually was like, "Fuck you, I'm not doing yeah. this." You know I what mean, I mean? It's very mafioso. Yes. You know, like go into the business of saying you're going to give me X, and he's doing it in sort of a legit way of I'm going to, you know, serve as the attorney. But it's the same thing, like he, that he's getting money out of them in that way, that extortion charge yes. in that manner. And it's 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 crazy because I think it's probably been going on for so long that it didn't even seem like anything when he was uh, when this whole thing went down. So um, the Chicago Tribune reported Burke also solicited an illegal ten thousand dollar campaign contribution for the from the fast food executives for a Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, who was running for city mayor at the time. Um, the case was filed just five weeks after the FBI carried out a surprise raid on Burke City Hall office. Ooh. So they worked for hours. FBI worked for hours behind windows covered with brown butcher paper before Ooh. leaving down back, back staircases with computers and files. That picture is fantastic. I want to make sure I put it on Instagram. This. But it shows like Cook County Alderman 14th Ward. And it's got all this brown paper. I and people are like that. knocking on the door to get in. And <laughs> the door is like so good. Yeah, like, wait, why, why are the... Yeah, Why so the they covered? <laughs> they raided his office in November 2018, and then in January, like after they went through all his shit, they were like, "Oh, here we go, right?" So let's talk about how he got caught. Okay, Alderman, because it was they did report it, but here's how else how else it happened is that Alderman Danny Solis, who is the head of the zoning committee in which is considered the third most powerful alderman seat, right, to be ahead of well, that zoning committee. Zoning, yes. yes. That's he was caught by the feds in 2016 for using his position in zoning to get all kinds of kickbacks, including like prescription drugs, sex workers. Wow. He got to use a farm for his son's um, wedding, like in Indiana what? or something, like just all kinds of kickbacks for help with the, the zoning permits. Um, Those are all construction bits. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the feds found him, or took him in and said, here's all the tapes and he was like ah shit right like what am i gonna do and so they said well you could wear a wire and help us get some other people and uh people he don't want to go to jail they don't and he agreed to do it 
And for two years, he was recording conversations wow. with Edward Burke oh, and others. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. So on these recorded, um, on these recordings, they heard various things from Burke, including he was pushing the owners of the Burke King franchise in his ward to hire his law firm for business if they wanted their pr- projects to move forward. Wow. Um, he was also shaking down the developers behind a major renovation of the old post office building. At one point, he was like, oh, if they won't come to me, then fuck them. We're not going to help them. Like, it was just like really 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 yeah. bad but so solis who was the zoning he had that power to like bring burke in to make sure those right. two things like he was the one setting up these appointments anyway so it didn't seem odd to burke that they were having all these conversations with these executives or the construction people it was like and uh, the funny thing too was like that's probably why the feds maybe went to him first because they knew that through him they could they get could somebody get, else they could get yeah burke and they probably knew that burke was the 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 leader of it all yeah um the i mean he'd been dog. there so yeah. long i'm sure they were dying to get home the big thing too was like the when that came out that solis was the one that was wearing the wire the aldermen were out of their fucking minds they're like this guy's a rat like fuck him like there was a guy who a few years ago was like i'm not wearing a wire just arrest me and they're all like he's a hero but the second you turn and you say you're gonna wear a wire everybody was against him Everybody mm. was against him who were aldermen. And they were all, and then also it was like they were afraid to have conversations with each yeah, other because they're, now like, they're like, who who's else got a wire? Yeah, yeah. Who, who's in this, right? Because nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going on, right? Oh. Yeah. So Burke's attorney said that, uh, quote, the transaction described in the complaint does not make out an extortion or an attempt to extort. We look forward to a prompt day in court to prove the innocence of Alderman, Alderman Burke. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. On Friday, January 4th, 2019, Mayor Rahm Emanuel announced Burke would step down from his powerful position as a city council finance wow. committee chairman. Yeah. Um, but he's still... He will not. He won't step down from his alderman seat. position. Man. And so in February of 2019... How old yeah. is he now? He's got to be in his 70s. 76, I think. Retire. Yeah, no. Like, Just That's retire. the worst part about this. Is like, we're going to go to jail like this as an old man? Like, what are you doing? So in February 2019, like a month after all this happened, were the elections for mayor and alderman. And and he won his election. Oh, dear. <laughs> so he's still sitting there as the 14th Ward alderman, right? Oh, my God. It's the best part of Chicago. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. They don't care. They, the I people, mean, you know, like, even go. it's like this huge breaking news. And even I was watching interviews with Chicago Sun-Times um, uh, reporters, and they were discussing this you know the whole thing like they're just like with shocked faces like they can't believe that this is happening with this guy it's you know i mean it's chicago but it's also like this guy you know they couldn't believe he like that he actually got caught up in something like this because he'd been around yeah so did they talk to any constituents to see like i mean does he have he must have a big support base I think that he does, but um, a, lo- a lot of the things they that I read... just don't care that he was arrested. No, and a lot of the things I read said that... So the Hispanics in his community really liked him. And even though it that won the race that he just won in February 2019, it was a tough race because he had three people running against him and they were all Latinos. And so it was a tough race because, you know, these communities are now growing to be more and more immigrants and they're, they're, they want to start voting for us, somebody else. And which is my, to me too is like is this why this how happened? How does he have like, time to run for an election, and also, you know, uh, prepare for court? <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like that's really overwhelming. Well, he's and he, he probably was done running by the time yeah, that voting happened. That's true. Okay. So also, this arrest affected the 2019 mayoral race because four of the 14 candidates had ties to Burke. 
that yeah. once this thing came out in January, a month before the election, those candidates were like thrown for a loop because now they had to cut ties or say something about Burke, right. someone who had been in their life for a long time. So the first one was um, Jerry Chico, who he had endorsed. He'd worked as an aide in Burke in Burke's alderman office like 30 years before, but he had moved his way up. But that's one person who had to be like, you know, back himself uh, away. Um, oh, I no longer accept his endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Tony, I don't know um, who he is, I yeah. swear. <laughs> Never seen him before in my life. You won't have any tapes with me with him on yeah. Um <laughs> There's t- no photographs, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Preckwinkle was given a $116,000 in political donations at a fundraiser at Burke's home, which oh, she returned, well. but... She also said the answer. She had to answer questions as to why she hired Edward Burke Jr. to serve as the training and exercise manager while she was the board of education president. Uh oh. <laughs> so like you know favors, favors, favors. Yeah. Um, Illinois comptroller Susanna Mendoza was married at Burke's home, officiated by his wife. Oh no, well, she can't um, disentangle herself <laughs> no. from that. <laughs> and when she was running for city clerk in 2010, she called Burke her true champion. Oh no. Yes. Yeah, so these are three people who really had to like. Yeah. She's got to eat those words. Yeah. So Lori Lightfoot would go on to win the mayoral race after an April 2019 runoff with Preckwinkle, and she became the first black um, female and first openly LGBTQ leader of Chicago, which Way is awesome. Go. Yeah. So she, of course, had nothing to do with Burke and right. like was well, of like not. ready to come out because he was against her anyway. Yeah. So he was ready to she was ready to come out guns blazing when this whole shit went yes. all this shit went down. Um, in April of 2019, Burke filed p- paperwork to dissolve his partnership in the law firm that he was a part of, Clafter and Burke. On May 30th, 2019, a grand jury finally indicted Edward Burke on 14 charges, wow. including one count of racketeering, two counts of attempted extortion, one count of conspiracy to commit con- uh, extortion, two counts of federal program uh, bribery, and then eight counts of using interstate commerce for unlawful activities. Ooh. Yeah. So the racketeering, attempting, attempted extortion, and conspiracy to commit extortion are all each punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot made her position on Burke clear, announcing May 31st um, her office would send a formal letter requesting his resignation. And she said, quote, as you can see in reading the indictment, he was essentially calling up and muscling commissioners, line yes. people, and everything in between to get his way in order to ingratiate himself with potential paying clients for his legal business, end quote. So, um, so she calls for his re- resignation, but he doesn't resign. No, he still. And hasn't. they can't do a vote to expel him from his seat. I don't know. That's a very good question. Yeah. Okay, so on June fourth, two thousand nineteen, he pled not guilty to all fourteen charges, and he's still awaiting trial for those. For so mm. we'll see what happens with this. Um, so aftermath, let's see what happens in Chicago. In July, in late July two thousand nineteen, Mayor Lightfoot moved to expunge aldermanic per- prerogative from the city's pop- political culture. So on her first day in office, she signed an executive order barring lawmakers from having the final say, namely veto power, in departmental decisions. She also ordered departments to report to her on how they've used aldermanic prerogative in the past and how Good. they will remove it going forward. Um, other reforms that she has proposed and have passed unanimously with the council is allowing Chicago's inspector general to audit city council committees. Of course. Um, banning there has s- to be oversight. Yeah, there's none. There was none. <laughs> um, banning certain types of outside work for aldermen and then increasing fines for ethics violations. And there's a really great video that's like, I don't know, 25 to 30 seconds of um, Burke in the council 
and Lightfoot's at the top, you know, sitting there, standing there as mayor. And there was something in the paperwork that said like he or she or something, something that it just left it vague of like the gender of whatever they were talking, whoever they were talking right. about. And he was say, standing up talking and she's like, I heard what you said. Are you saying that it's the gender is not very specific? And he said, yes. And she's like, okay, I heard you. We'll deal with it. And then he kept talking. She's like, I just told you we're going to take care of it. And everybody started laughing or like clapping. And he was like, and he kind of smiled and he sat down. And I was like, bitch, yeah. you just got to set this motherfucker straight. Like it's mm-hmm. enough already with this guy. Yeah. She can't wait for time him to get the to, fuck out of there. Time to sit yeah. down. Yes. Time to sit down. Yes. And also my favorite thing ever is just like this whole behavior of like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm still showing up to work. I'm not going to, what's the big I deal? Mean, I'm not going to get in trouble. Some, retire. Resign. Yes. yes. Get, get out. The privilege and the power and the thinking I, listen, when you're in that position for so long, you think you can get away with everything and anything. And so you continue this bad behavior and, and that's what he did, you know? So stay tuned. Like, let's, let's see what happens. I can't wait for an update. I feel like he's going to get, I'm going to make a prediction. I think that he will be found guilty. I don't think they're going to give him, you know, uh, consecutive years, but I bet you he gets like. 15 to 20 years total maybe yeah and maybe even find more like who yeah. knows how long it's been going on and if somebody else if this one person comes yeah. forward or somebody else maybe other people but will come still forward at 76 years old and you gotta go to prison no 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 you know he's gonna maybe maybe he'll i don't know the fact that he pled not, not guilty it, it just tells me that he thinks he can continue this going that, on that he'll get away with it right but I, I think he'll be found guilty we'll he's see. gonna end up in jail in chicago after all Ooh. and he had his hands in those judges girl that's true, but maybe those judges <laughs> want to try to yeah. make a little bit of distance. Break. And uh, I, I liked it. What a good story. Thank you. And I also thought a good post maybe would be like best Chicago songs about Chicago. Ooh, that would be fun. Because this made me think about all those songs about Chicago that I love so much. Yes. I thought that would be a good a good post. We'll definitely have to do all it. All right, all right. Yay. So listen, um, Tina works very hard on all these posts that she's putting up on our Instagram. So you have to go check them out. The girl is up at one o'clock in the morning sending me a message <laughs> going, what do you think? And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so beautiful oh. and fantastic. And I love them so much. And it keeps like having the feed alive yes. and active. And that's what we need to do. So thank you for doing all that. Oh, all that thank work. you. Yeah. And just please interact with our posts. We're trying really to, um, you know, build followers on our social media so feel free to tag friends if you think that they would like anything that we're uh, posting on there yes that would be great awesome yeah so thank you thank you and until next time yay have a good day have a good week i'll see you next week yes all right bye bye if you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories please follow the episode notes on our website themuckpodcast.fireside.fm And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.